Welcome to another Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. Joining me today is the founder and executive director of Lestari Capital, Michael Zrust. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you very much, Ian. Nice to be here. Why don't we start by you giving us a little bit of background to Lestari Capital? What's it all about? Listari Capital is an innovative finance enterprise and it's in existence because of the current way that conservation is financed and how the right incentives are created for conservation, how we ensure delivery of impacts on the ground and how the corporate sector interacts with conservation. All of those things, I don't believe, are really fit for purpose in what we're trying to achieve. And this is especially critical if we're looking at the context of delivering on global climate pledges regarding keeping the planet below 1.5 degrees warming, or even on biodiversity conservation, deforestation prevention, local community empowerment, and other sustainable development goals. But it's also important if we look at it in the context of delivering on this huge range of private sector, corporate sustainability commitments that actually align with these goals. What we're seeing is this wave of commitments being made by the private sector you know, which are really critically important, I think, to my mind, if you want to achieve these global commitments, as well as sustainable supply chains, but the mechanisms that actually enable and ensure that these commitments are being achieved at the scale that is needed, with the robust demonstration and verification of impact in place, these are either not there, they're not scalable, or they're not robust enough. So we have this really interesting trio of actors and issues which are moving around each other, but they're not really connecting in a way that we need to in order to kind of deliver the impact that the world actually needs. We've got these global commitments, which as mankind have to achieve. We have the private sector in place that is piece by piece committing to the outcomes to help achieve those commitments. And we've also got this third actor, I guess, which are the conservation projects on the ground and the activities on the ground which have today, by and large, been supported through grants and philanthropy and other forms of philanthropy. So what Lestari Capital does is to work with these corporate actors and projects to essentially conceptualize, develop, implement and manage the mechanisms, link these pieces together to deliver on those commitments at scale. And the Rimba Collective, which is our latest and most innovative mechanisms to date, is doing that, but it's also moving supply chain actors beyond of just what we have seen today, which is avoidance of negative impact from commodity production and more into sort of positive outcomes that actually help to deliver on these global commitments. So you mentioned the Rimmer Collective, which you're part of. Who's involved in this and what's the ambition? I would say, being slightly biased, of course, is that the Rimba Collective is a, is a unique coalition of actors. Um, we started in 2020 with four companies, Procter & Gamble, PepsiCo, Nestle and Wilmar to conceptualize a mechanism from scratch, really because there was nothing equivalent out there that would deliver on half a million hectares of conservation, restoration, livelihood impacts on the ground as a start, but over the long term. And when I, when I say long term, I'm thinking 25 years plus. What we did is we identified what is needed to change the paradigm of the issues that I talked about a little bit earlier, the Rimba Collective has a number of interesting features, and just to pull out a couple of these, it's open to all actors within the supply chain, from producers, processors, traders, manufacturers, retailers, because we, we're really trying to push towards this idea of collective action 
And of course, the reality that no single private sector entity will be able to achieve at scale what we actually need to achieve and bring those global commitments into action. And so we then develop a contribution mechanism that is focused on equitable, but that collective action. And so the companies that participate in the Rimba Collective contribute proportionally to their sourcing, in this case, of palm oil. What we're trying to do is really build towards the principle that conservation shouldn't really be a charitable afterthought. I mean, we're way beyond that in the world today, but that it should be integrated and a long-term part of doing business. And so we're linking the contributions to conservation by these actors to their procurement of products and therefore trying to build it into their procurement lines. And so we work effectively on a portfolio basis. So this is a portfolio of a wide range of conservation projects. We're starting in Southeast Asia. So the portfolio is focused around Malaysia, Indonesia, and Papua New Guinea. And each of the companies that participates in the Member Collective contributes to this portfolio of projects. So that's, again, a kind of an interesting change. And there's lots of reasons why this is actually beneficial. The companies are not contributing on a project by project basis, one company, one project, they're contributing to that portfolio. And what that means is that it allows the company users to access a wide range of conservation outcomes that are being generated by the projects. But on the flip side, it also allows us to build and de-risk the portfolio by including projects which might otherwise not get support because maybe they are more risky, but that also makes them more important in many cases to conservation. But also they might be different typologies. One of the things that we're seeing, of course, today is that there's a lot of focus on carbon and projects that generate carbon credits potentially. And we want to be much more inclusive than that. We want to be looking at a broad range of ecosystem service outcomes, what we refer to as ecosystem service outcomes, including biodiversity, restoration, forest protection, peatland protection, and of course, livelihoods are a fundamental part of all of this. The verification of the outcomes by these projects is conducted independently. It's, it's conducted by international standards. And the claims that the users are able to make are only on the outcomes that are actually delivered on the ground, trying to move away from the usual model of contributing, you know, writing nice reports. We actually want there to be tangible outcomes that are generated to make it robust and real. The projects themselves on that side, they receive financing depending on their performance and the achievement of those outcomes. We do not set a price for conservation, which has a lot of negative and frankly unrealistic aspects to it, if you know how projects actually function. And so that we deliver to them the budgets that they need to achieve the outcomes that they set out, and we build permanence into the projects. So we're again thinking about 25 years. Perhaps we can think about what a typical project looks like that's involved in, in the Rimba Collective initiative. Each project is slightly different, basically working to address local and regional needs. All the projects are third party and they're independent of the Starry Capital and independent of the Rimba Collective in terms of who manages, develops them, runs them. They're developed and managed usually by local NGOs in partnerships with local communities who have land tenure rights or ownership over the land themselves. And all of the projects basically focus on forest conservation, restoration, biodiversity achievement, climate benefits achievement, and local community livelihoods. Some projects might be more remote and therefore they might be more focused on forest protection. 
others and, you know, and traditional indigenous livelihoods, for example. Others maybe more in forest frontier areas, near production areas. And so that's where sort of alternative livelihoods become key and forest protection and, and, and restoration might also be important. We also have obviously sort of technical criteria, which we are seeking from the projects, but all of the projects that we have deliver these aspects, whether climate benefits, uh, biodiversity, habitat protection, habitat restoration and livelihoods in various quantities in terms of their focus. And that focus is determined by them. Where do these projects have to deliver in terms of additionality? We have these sort of three groups of, of outcomes, the climate benefits, the conservation and, and biodiversities, as well as the livelihoods. As part of doing this work, we developed a framework for what we refer to, as mentioned earlier, the, the ecosystem service outcomes. And so these are the verified outcomes, both conservation and livelihood, that the projects achieve. So they are effectively the tangible outcomes that the projects over each year actually deliver. And as I said, we don't treat the projects as grantees. We don't treat them as charitable entities. We treat them as they should be treated, which is an equal partner that actually delivers outcomes that we effectively buy from them and we retire in the name of the RIMBA Collective. So these are not tradable credits. I guess credits could be used in the most well-known word, but they are effectively retired on behalf of the RIMBA Collective and they're not passed further on. Since the claims of the users are dependent on these, the additionality is something that we actually take very seriously. And as part of the third-party certification process of the projects, there are baseline studies conducted under each project to establish exactly what the additionality will be if the outcomes of the projects are achieved, so if the project is successful. And of course, the outcomes themselves are then independently verified to ensure that the additionality has been achieved. And they achieved across that wide range of environmental service outcomes. What then are the benefits for those involved in the funding of the projects? You know, the Rimba Collective was developed by some of the largest private sector actors to address their conservation needs. We built everything from scratch. This is from the vehicle design, the contribution models, to the legal agreements, the project criteria, to the monitoring, reporting and verification systems. It is a truly unique and high impact collective of which to be a leader. The companies that are participating, you know, really see themselves as being that leader in the space. The positive way that we have developed this and conceptualized and put it all together showed real desire, I think, for companies to think outside of the box and, and move away from what we have currently into, into something that actually helps them build on high standards for verification, transparency, and of course, accountability that then reaches a system which is robust and that supports the achievement of their targets, their commitments. And their commitments have also a broad range, whether it's related to biodiversity protection, to achievements of science-based targets, to other climate benefit goals, to supporting local communities. This system provides a level playing field in how the companies contribute. It also creates a level playing field in how each company is able to make the claims on the contributions that they make. That's really the biggest benefit to the companies is that they're verifiably able to see what has been achieved as a result of their contribution and really to have that tangible outcome that moves them towards the fulfillment of the commitments that they have set themselves. That's really the key of what participants of the RIMBA Collective are achieving and receiving. 
And I guess that then enables them to communicate with their own stakeholders. Say, look, here's how we're doing what we said we were going to do. Here's we set out these targets and here's the tangible evidence of what we're doing to work towards them. Exactly. And, you know, at the back of all of this, as I said, you know, having spent so much time in the weeds, we do forget the excitement that the individuals working with these companies and then all of us actually have on seeing these projects start and be successful. And I think we need to each take responsibility and, and see how we can support this kind of global movement to effectively avoid a warmer world than the 1.5 degrees. You're looking at half a million hectares for the next 25 years. How scalable is this model beyond that in terms of geography, but also in terms of into other commodities? You know, we really built this with scale in mind. And, and the more companies that join us, the larger the project portfolio will have to grow. We've had a lot of interest from different tiers of the supply chain. And we're now, I'm incredibly pleased to say, at a point where additional actors joining the Rimba Collective will most likely mean that is that from the outset, from year one, we will have to move towards having a bigger vision around the scale of the project portfolio. More actors coming and joining us will mean that the project portfolio will have to grow over that half million. In fact, it's already planned to be well over half a million hectares, but we want to obviously have vision way beyond that. And so that would be an incredible achievement. And it is possible that in 2022, we, we will get there. The most excitement obviously comes from also looking at other geographies and other commodities. And we see the Rimba Collective as being something that is incredibly scalable and adaptable to other commodities, whether it's cocoa or coffee or rubber or soy. And so this is something that actually this year we're beginning to explore because I think there is so much more opportunity, so much more demand for conservation from the private sector and so many projects that need to move away from the current support models that they have into something which is much more professional and recognises what they actually do to help us move towards conservation at a more global scale. You'll have been going for two years in 2022. What are you hoping in terms of progress for this year? What will success look like for you in a year's time? In 2022, in the next few months, we will be starting the first year of funding for the projects that will build out that half a million hectares over the next few years. So that's starting already. So I'm incredibly looking forward to actually just seeing those projects commence their conservation work and, and livelihood activities and starting to see progress there. At the end of this year, we will hopefully have our first verification of the outcomes that have been achieved. And we will already be looking at the expansion into the year two. So we will be well on our way to 200,000 hectares by the end of next year. That expansion, I think, of the Rimba Collective users as well, I think, and an exploration of other adaptations and obviously that scaling up is something that we want to be thinking about right from the beginning. So that's also for us a vision of what success would look like at the end of 2022 is that we have a very clear plan for that and we have more actors joining us. So, so I guess that's my call to action. We are in many ways at an incredibly opportune time. We are able to really think about how else can we create more incentives for conservation? What other types of projects are we able to support? What can we do? How can we utilize the Rimba Collective to change the narrative around development? If we can demonstrate both to those project operators, but to the communities and to governments, as well as to the private sector, 
that actually there are alternative pathways towards development, you know, moving towards a conservation model rather than an exploitation model for areas that right now are in danger of becoming part of the exploitation model. But then I think that becomes something that is really exciting because here we have a long-lasting, tangible, a viable and a robust model that can demonstrate to all of those actors that actually conservation is a viable alternative. And so a big part of our work over this year will also be seeking opportunities to look at other project typologies where new projects could potentially be started, but also where potentially different concession types could be used for conservation rather than other forms of development. And I think that really supports the long-term vision of what we're doing, but also the long-term vision of what many governments are committing to and what actually local communities and companies would like to see. It's a fascinating initiative. Listeners, if you want more information, just go to lasericapital.com. Loads more information there around how the projects are structured and how the overall Rimba Collective works. But for now, Michael Zust, thanks very much indeed. Thank you very much, Ian.